DW Africa Link It's time for another edition of DW's Africa Link bringing you the latest news from across the continent straight to wherever you are listening from right now. I'm Kai Nebe and with Kai I'm Okering Gushinato. We're also reaching you live on our Facebook page DW Africa and through our partner stations around the world. Tune in, share and don't forget to comment. So getting on for today's program, Zimbabwe opposition politician Job Sihala has been released after nearly 600 days in detention on charges of inciting public violence in 2022. These people who have kept me in this prison for a long time uh, should understand that my determination to pay any price for the love of my country is beyond reproach. Zimbabwe's ruling party is being accused of disruption by the opposition Citizens Coalition for Change, the Triple C. We hear from an analyst. So ZANU-PF has been using this tactic since time immemorial, and it's not peculiar uh, to the C and it's not new. We know that that's how they do. They rule by division. And we will also be updating you on the AFCON tournament, but for now, it's time for the World News in Brief. DW News. Welcome to the news. My name is Jen Nyingi. Israel has confirmed that its forces have been flooding tunnels under Gaza, which it says are used by Hamas. The army is pouring seawater into the tunnel network, but says it's ensuring that groundwater supplies are not affected. Experts have previously warned that seawater could permanently damage fresh water for Gaza's 2.3 million residents and endanger hostages still being held by Hamas. But is flooding tunnels an effective tactic? Mike Martin is a former British Army officer and a senior fellow in the Department of War Studies at King's College, London. Yes, in, in, a, in a fairly ruthless approach. It's, it's very simple. You can pump in seawater, as you said, in your package. All you need is a, a fire hydrant, something that every fire department has, and, and you can run that for 24 hours. And it is as simple as it sounds. Water flows downhill, and we know some of these structures are very deep. And it fills up the system from the bottom. And then either if you're in that tunnel, you either drown or you have to come to the surface, which is obviously what the uh, IDF wants with this activity. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has urged donor countries to keep funding its agency for Palestinian refugees. He met with ambassadors from 35 nations to discuss accusations that some agency staff took part in the October 7th Hamas terror attacks. Several countries, including Germany, have suspended funding. The former Pakistani Prime Minister Imran Khan and his wife have been sentenced to 14 years in prison for corruption. A day earlier, another court handed Khan a 10-year sentence for revealing state secrets. The opposition leader has was already serving a three-year jail term and is barred from standing in the next week's election. Khan says the verdicts are part of a plot to shut him out of politics and he will appeal. DW's Benish Javad has more on what it means for the former Pakistani Prime Minister. So basically this conviction means that he will not be able to do any political work for a significant period in future. So definitely it is a a big setback for Imran Khan. And therefore all of these convictions just before February 8 elections definitely are very damaging for Imran Khan. But we have to see that in Pakistan, when things uh, or when tides turn in favor of politicians, uh, cases against them get dropped. But at this moment in Imran Khan's political career, it 
it is uh, a big setback for him. DW's uh, Benish Javad reporting there. This news is coming to you from DW in Bonn, Germany. YouTube has terminated the official channel of disgraced Nigerian tele-evangelist J.B. Joshua Mega Church for violating its hate speech policies. It comes weeks after an investigation uncovered evidence of widespread sexual abuse and torture by the late preacher. Emmanuel TV played a key role in his rise from local pastor to global star. T.B. Joshua died in 20. 21. And TikTok is set to lose access to millions of songs. Universal Music Group, home of top-selling artists like Taylor Swift, has said it will pull its music from the platform. Universal accuses TikTok of underpaying royalties for its artists. For more news and information, head on to our website dw.com forward slash Africa. My name is Jen Nyingi. You are listening to DW's Africa Link program with me, Okeri Ngushinado. And joining Okeri is, of course, me, Kainebe. Welcome to all of you following us on our Facebook page, DW Africa. We've got a few of you listening there already. So thanks for joining us, David and Chamba. How are you doing? As well as all of those following us on our partner stations across the African continent. Okay, we've got lots to we've got lots to get through today, but we'll start mm-hmm. off in Zimbabwe, where a court has freed opposition politician Job Sekhala after serving nearly 600 days of pretrial detention on charges of inciting public violence in 2022. Sekhala was given a two-year suspended jail term. Now, the outspoken Sekhala was jailed after making statements to avenge the death of an opposition supporter who was murdered by her boyfriend named as a ruling party supporter in May 2022. Now, from, Har- from Harare, DW correspondent Privilege Muswaniri filed this report. A hero's welcome outside his home in the dormitory town of Chitungwiza, 30 kilometers south of the capital Harare. Job Sikala, known by his political activism nickname Wiwa, taken from the slain Nigerian writer Ken Saro Wiwa, addressed his supporters Tuesday night soon after arriving home from prison. Sikala is defiant and says his detention strengthened him to fight for justice. I had to make sure that I gather mental strength for me to be able to sustain myself in this situation. These people who have kept me in this prison for a long time uh, should understand that my determination to pay any price for the love of my country is beyond reproach. We absolutely, this was uh, an act of persecution. The 51-year-old lawyer is no stranger to prison life. This was his 65th arrest since he began opposition politics in 1999. Speculation was that his detention was the state's making to neutralize opposition voices before the country's August 2023 general elections, allegations the ruling party denies. Harrison Como, his defense lawyer, now plans to appeal against his conviction and sentence. The prosecution should not have happened in the first place. He must not uh, glorify things that are wrong. His arrest in the first place was not supposed to be effected. Equally, the prosecution and subsequent conviction. We are not uh, arresting. We are taking, we are going to search them to take the matter up to the High Court on appeal. What we want is an acquittal 
not uh, a conviction with the lighter sentence. No, we disagree with that. A solidarity movement formed during Sikala's detention now plans to fight for the freedom of activists they believe are prisoners of conscience. Obed Masaraure, one of the leaders, explains. We are very much angry against our state. Zimbabwe is degenerating into a Rhodesia where people are jailed for having political views that are different to those who are in power. As Zimbabweans, we are going to be drawing a line in the sand. Never again are we going to allow the Zimbabwean state to persecute any other citizen for holding views that are different from those who are in power. Zimbabwean authorities are accused of detaining critics. Citizens still hope the situation could change for the better if a strong opposition emerges. For now, the opposition is gripped by factional fights. Privilege Mushanhiri reporting to us from Harare and his last point about a fractured opposition in Zimbabwe that we're going to talk about now because that is the situation for Sikhala as he returns to uh, uh, as he returns to freedom and sees a very fractured opposition which due to internal fights and alleged infiltration has seen the leader of the CCC or Triple C party uh, Nelson Chamisa step down amid an onslaught from the Secretary-General Sengezo Chabangu. That's true, Kai. A lot has been happening within the party. And some of the accusation from Chamisa said that that he said before leaving the Triple C was that an imposter was to blame for them losing 33 parliamentary seats. Now, earlier I spoke to Blessing Vava, the regional director of the Crisis in Zimbabwe Coalition, and asked him what it means for Sikala to return to a fragmented party. Take a listen. Well, I'm not exactly sure of his next move, but from what we have seen, the interviews that he has done so far, he seems very worried about the fragmentation and he has said that um, he's going to you know, give his way forward on what path he's going to take. So it also won't be surprising that he might jump into either of the factions or possibly um, lead his own movement. It can't be ruled out. Now, Nelson Chamisa has accused the ruling party ZANU-PF and the Zimbabwean president of abusing state institutions to infiltrate the Triple C. Is there any truth that the Triple C is hijacked? I think the evidence is there for all to see. Um, I, 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 I can pinpoint uh, the recalls uh, that way. Yes, what sort of evidence is there? Okay, let me start it this way. The Triple C had its own leadership uh, with its own uh, president, that was uh, Nelson Chamisa, its own officials, uh, Amos Chibaya, who was the organizing secretary, Promise Mkwananzi, the spokesperson, Gift of Talos, uh, um, the deputy spokesperson, and various other officials uh, that were known uh, to be representing the party, but with a nobody, an unknown uh, person uh, who previously was in the MDC, that is Sengezo Chabangu, claiming that is the Secretary General writing to Parliament and Parliament actioning on that, you know, uh, letter of, of, of recourse of the members of Parliament. Um, but, but not only that, um, we have seen several court challenges where the C has tried to bring evidence that Seyenzo uh, Chabangu is not in their database, is not in their leadership, and there is no such position as Secretary General in the C. But we have seen the courts you know, um, still declaring uh, that uh, Mr. Sengezo Chabangu was a legitimate, um, you know, uh, uh, person or legitimate secretary general or leader um, and he had the powers of recalling elected members of officials from another political party. And 
that on its own, it clearly shows that uh, there is a collusion between, um, you know, the state um, and uh, the courts and uh, the people like uh, Senges Ochabangu who have been used, you know, to uh, destroy or to effect recalls of uh, elected officials of parliament. Has the ruling party reacted to these allegations at all? Of course, the ruling party, uh, they will deny it. Um, uh, but uh, we, we have seen the, 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 the celebrations uh, by Zanupia spokesperson, that is Chris Mutangwa, saying that Senges Ochabangu is doing a good job. We have seen uh, the spokesperson of the president, that is uh, George Charamba, on his uh, numerous uh, Twitter accounts that he is using, you know, pseudonyms. You know, you know, celebrating of, of the of what of the goings on in the, the divisions in the Triple C. So ZANU-PF has been using this tactic since time immemorial, and it's not peculiar uh, to the Triple C, and it's not new. We know that that's how they do. They rule by division. Now, what does the future look like for Chamisa after leaving the Triple C? Okay, so I think that um, this presents him with a, you know a very good opportunity to you know rebrand himself. Uh, also trying to work with uh, new people. Uh, I'm talking about uh, young uh, young people and uh, leave away all the garbage because a majority of the people that he was working with from the MDDC and from the C. So he really needs to do his mathematics very well. But as I said earlier, that he has to be very mindful that uh, Zanubev is just not going to watch him uh, regroup, rearrange, recalibrate. But I think that Zanupiev is well aware of um, the strength that he has, the popularity that he has, and they're trying to play mad, they're trying to play dirty to make sure that Chamisa does not appear um, as a presidential candidate um, in the 2028 elections. I was speaking to Blessing Vava, who is the regional director of the Crisis in Zimbabwe Coalition. Now, um, Kai, critics have long accused ZANU-PF, um, which is Zimbabwe's ruling party in power since 1980, of using the courts to silent opposition voices. Now, we've also had some reaction on X, uh, which is Twitter, right? Well, what are some of the reactions that are coming in? Yeah, so there's been a, a bunch of views on this, but it's interesting that there's a there's actually been a, a very different sort of idea of how this is going. For example, we've got my Magaisa saying, can the Zimbabwe, the country, still be saved by young people under this, what he refers to as a military rule? So let's just see if those keep comments keep coming and we'll be here on Africa Link. You are still listening to Africa Link broadcasted Monday to Friday. We also have the latest coming up on Afghan, but first I'm Okeri Gushinado. And I am Kai Nebo with Okeri here. Thanks so much for joining us from wherever you are listening across the African continent, as well as our partner stations. Uh, but of course, we'd like to say thanks to those of you who are listening to us. Julius Yauli also listening to us on our Facebook page, DW Africa, to our partner stations, Ray Power and UBC are just a few of those tuning in. Thanks very much for joining us. Okeri, what have we got coming up next? Yeah, we swim along with whales in South Africa on their migration route. See the right whales as the right sentinel to show us how climate change is affecting the Southern Ocean and Antarctic regions. 
Well, we'll get into that story later that focuses on whales in Southern Africa and why they are important for the battle against climate change. But first, Okeri, we head across to Nigeria, where domestic abuse and the abuse of children, as in many other countries, is a pervasive and underreported problem. The World Health Organization, for instance, says that violence against women is devastatingly pervasive. But boys and young men are also suffering abuse, but their abuse is often ignored or not taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Now, DW correspondent Flourish Ubanyi tells us about the digital safe space helping men find healing from their childhood traumas. Just a warning, this story deals with trauma around abuse that may trigger some listeners. This 29-year-old man, let's call him Daniel, was sexually abused at the age of six by an older female. He was young and innocent. She was a neighbor. That experience, he says, completely changed his life. He now struggles with a pornography and masturbation addiction and sees no way out. I have looked for all sorts of solutions to get out of it, and I'm still not out. If such experience can lead to that kind of thing, I'm very sure it has led to a lot of things in some people's life too. So why won't we come out and talk? It will keep happening. So we we have to do something. He's doing what he can, writing about his experience anonymously, hoping his story will inspire parents to be more protective of their sons. And as a school teacher, he says he feels an even greater burden to prevent young ones from having a similar experience. It's hard to find any official figures on the rate of sexual abuse among young boys in Nigeria. One recent report put the number at 3 in 10 boys, a high number that hardly gets any attention. Solomon Idowu and his friend started Boys Without Borders to change such notions. It's a safe space online where men share their experiences. A lot of people still don't believe that men can be sexually assaulted because men are stronger, men like sex. There's a lot of... um, stereotypes that we have in society that tend to support those kind of um, notions. Since they started in 2020, they've heard from more than 14 men. Many of the victims want the world to know that boys need attention too. But Idowu says it's only a first step to healing. I think a majority of our respondents will tell you they do not want mental health support. And... I think this also ties back to that notion like, well, I can handle it myself, I'm a man. Even though like, they see the need to actually talk about it, to like, unload, some of them still do not understand the importance of talking to a professional about those challenges. And I think that's also one of the things that we are trying to work on now. Ido and his team of volunteers are now reaching out to young boys in secondary schools, teaching them that it's okay to ask for help. Our motto is raising functional men. That's pretty much it. Um, we, see, we see it as a cycle. Boys become men, and men teach boys to become men. So what we are trying to do is to reach out to boys at their um, early stages, give them the right information. Meanwhile, survivors like Daniel, who send their stories to Ido, just want people to pay more attention to the issue so that it doesn't happen in the first place. We have to keep talking. I'm not the only one that have this kind of experience. I'm very sure guys won't want to talk about stuff like this. But the more we ignore it, the more it happens. Sexual assault against children happens globally. 
much attention is paid to women and girls. Daniel and Idowu hope these kind of stories force the world not to forget about the boys. Flores Shupanyi with that moving report from Lagos, Nigeria. And I mean, it's important to note that it is important to speak about sexual assault, whether it's from boys or girls, um, just to keep talking, keeping open and keep also seeking healing. And of course, if you know about any of these things happening, do report it Mm -hmm. to the relevant authorities so that it can stop. Now, moving south across the African continent, we go to South Africa, which hosts the largest global breeding population of endangered southern right whales. And this is actually known because it is part of one of the world's longest continuous studies performed by South Africa's Mammal Research Institute, which checks up on the migration of southern right whales every year along the Cape coastline. Now, ever since 1969, researchers charter a helicopter to photograph the breeding population of these whales and to help ID and track the population. The survey was established to monitor the recovery of this population after the banning of whaling. Jason Boswell joined the team that tracks the gentle giants and his report is presented by DW's Jennifer Collins. From high up in a helicopter, marine researchers are monitoring hundreds of kilometres of South African coastline. They're on the lookout for southern right whales. Down below, they can see the vast turquoise ocean and sandy beaches. Then, finally, they spot the gentle giants which have just returned from the Antarctic. For more than 50 years now, researchers have carried out an annual survey of the whales off the Cape of South Africa. The researchers photograph and count the whales and assess their health. They're armed with high-end cameras and telephoto lenses, looking to photograph the whales and document the callosities on their head. The rough patches of skin appear white because they're covered with colonies of whale lice. The callosities produce a unique pattern on each whale, which can be analysed using computational modelling to identify individual animals. But capturing the images from aboard a chopper can be challenging. Back on land, lead researcher Els Vermeulen explains why right whales can help us better understand our changing environment. See the right whales as the right sentinel to show us how climate change is affecting the Southern Ocean and Antarctic regions. Whale. The next day we head to Walker Bay, some 150 kilometres from Cape Town. The beautiful bay is set against the dramatic Klein Riviere Mountains and its shallow waters are teeming with life. Along with the southern right whales, it's also a stopping point for humpback whales. Marine biologist Justin Blake explains why the area is under special protection. It's super important to have sanctuaries like that because these whales are spending a lot of energy to get all the way up to South Africa from Antarctica. And if this area is protected, this place where they're resting, then they don't have to use additional energy to move out of the way of ships or boats or or other people around. And outside the protected season, there are lots of people on the water here. The area is popular with whale-watching tourists. Many of them crowded on the decks of ships cruising through the bay, smartphones and cameras at the ready, hoping to catch a glimpse of the gentle giants. South Africa has the largest population of southern right whales in the world. More than 6,500 pass through these waters every year. Thousands of tourists from all over the world visit the nearby town of Hermanus too, 
And all of that, of course, helps boost the local economy. Tour guide Jack Boys says tourism is a vital source of income here. Financially, it sustains a massive, massive amount of people around our um, uh, direct area. The number of whales has rebounded since the 1976 ban on commercial whaling in the Southern Hemisphere. But researchers say the global population is still only about 20% of pre-industrial whaling levels. And while harpoons and whaling ships may be a thing of the past, the multi-decade study suggests that these days the southern right whales face a different threat. Rising global temperatures. Els from Milan again. Feeding grounds of the South African right whale population is south of South Africa in the Southern Ocean. And what we've seen there is a reduced um, sea ice conditions, and that means a reduced ability for krill to reproduce. In this delicate ecosystem, changes that are taking place thousands of kilometres away are of vital importance to the whales and the people who live here. Many thanks to the reporting of Jason Boswell on that report. Africa Link. Sport. Kai, all I can say is the shocks just keep coming at Afcon, isn't that right? Yeah, I can't argue with that, Okeri. After Mali dispatched Burkina Faso 2 to 1 to World Cup place in the quarterfinals, we then tuned in to watch the later match, Morocco versus South Africa. Yesterday, Okeri, remember you mm. saying something about how you were hoping for a Morocco win? But that wasn't meant to be. I mean, you saw from the results, Bafana Bafana ran out 2 0 winners against the Atlas Lions, a result that left many in definitely including me, completely shocked. Another person who was at a loss for words was Morocco coach Walid Ragagi, the same person, the same man who almost led Morocco to the World Cup final in Qatar. First of all, congratulations to South Africa. They played the game they needed to play against us. To win this match, we perhaps needed more intensity in the first half. We also needed to be more effective in the situations we had. At this level, you have to take advantage of the few chances you get. We didn't do that. In contrast, um, there was pure joy from the South African side with uh, the man of the match, Teboho Mokwena, being extremely ecstatic about his side's performance. I'm very happy to be where I am now. And I'm proud of the team because uh, I think no one gave us a chance. After the first game, we lost to Mali, but uh, we came back strong and uh, we regrouped and we work very hard to be where we are now. Right. And South African coach Hugo Bruce also praised his team for fighting from the first minute and that South Africa knew they would only have a very, very few chances to score against the star-studded North Africans. Now, joining us in the studio is soccer fanatic and AFCON specialist Buba Jalo. Welcome. Thank you, guys. I like the title, um, Afcon Specialist. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> now, Buba, um, like we mentioned, it was a big shock for South Africa to eliminate favourites Morocco. Why is this significant for the tournament and even South Africa? It is big because there was a, there was a level of underestimation going on there by the Moroccan side. If you like me, I think uh, when they started playing, they they I think they were sort of hoping that they would play that fast football to dominate Bafana Bafana. But their defense was very formidable. They didn't let any of the ball go through, and uh, they used that advantage that uh, the Moroccans were pressing a bit harder, and then they used those counter to sort of um, score their first goal. It was a clean 
clean, clean, <laughs> clean win for, mm-hmm. for, for, you know, there have been other wins before, but this one was definitely a clean one for South Africa. Yeah, certainly. They also rode their luck with Ashraf Hakimi missing a penalty late in the match that would have put them level, but then they were able to get the second goal from Mokwena to seal the deal. But Buba, looking forward to the quarterfinals. We've got Nigeria versus Angola, Cape Verde versus South Africa, DRC versus Guinea and Mali versus Ivory Coast. This has been a tournament of shocks, but Buba, uh, like, who could you see actually bagging a semi-final spot, knowing that any prediction apparently doesn't count here? <laughs> You've actually mentioned the word, the word there, a tournament of shock. Uh, that is why it is extremely hard to predict. When I was having a conversation with Okeri yesterday mm-hmm. for the show as well, I did tell you that I am not going to make any prediction anymore. After the group stages, I sort of learned my lesson that this is a tournament that you cannot predict just because the team is big doesn't mean that they are capable of winning. We for me, what I think one should be looking out for is, does that team have a determination? I think all of these teams that have gone to to play AFCON in Abidjan, they, they, they've been actually playing with a very, very high tactical. I mean, African football sometimes is a bit physical, but I see I saw a lot of tactics being used in this one. But for me, the determination I saw, I would definitely give it to when I saw Nigeria played against Cameroon. Right. I saw a level of determination that I've never seen in the Super Eagles. And I also saw uh, Ivory Coast after, the, you know, after when they played uh, in that game, it was uh, extremely good as well. Right, Buba. And before you go, you've mentioned Ivory Coast, you've mentioned Nigeria. Who is the dark horse, one that we should keep our eyes on? Ivory Coast. I think they have something to play for. Sure. And with that, it's almost time for us to bid adieu here. I'm Kai Neves. Thanks and for I, being there. And I'm Okeri Ngushinado. Until next time. DW Mid for mine.